Hey friends, this is Josh Blair, and I'm the pastor of Central Valley Church, and this is our podcast. My prayer for the message you hear today is that it will inspire you and encourage you to walk closer with Jesus this week. If you want to stay connected with us, please check us out at CVC Madera, both on Facebook and Instagram. And you can check out our YouTube channel, Central Valley Church. Thanks for listening. We're continuing in our series called One Thing, looking at the one thing that Jesus commanded us to do in the Great Commission which is to, if you know it, say it, make disciples, make disciples. Some of us, uh, and as I grew up, the, the idea, the imperative was on going. So I remember as long as we're going, we're doing what Jesus said. But that word actually is as you are going, you're called to make disciples. So the command is not just to go, it's to make disciples. Some of us Uh, have been going a long time and been doing a lot of things, but we have not been making disciples. And Jesus has called every believer, every follower, if you call yourself a a follower of Jesus, a Christian, you have one command, and it is to make disciples. I know that can be a daunting task, so over this uh, next several months, we'll be looking at how do we make disciples. And to first do that, you have to know what it means to actually be a follower of Jesus. And by uh, helping us understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus, we're looking at the seven attributes of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Uh, we're going through a, a book that was written by a friend of mine. It's called Follow. And he, he lays out uh, with another pastor the seven attributes, the seven distinctions of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And we're, uh, we started last week. We're continuing in this week on learning to be with him. Can you turn to your neighbor and say, learning to be with Jesus. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you have to learn to be with him. We don't just talk about him. We don't just reference him. We desire to know him. We desire to be close with him. We desire to have his heart. We desire to have his character. That happens when we are spending time with Jesus. And so that's our desire. That's our heart's cry. Because we know uh, what Jesus said in John chapter 15. If you remain in me, I will remain in you. And the desire for us is to draw close to Jesus and be in him because ultimately we want our lives to matter for something. Would you agree? When you die, you want to leave a legacy of purpose and intentionality behind you so that when you're gone, people still remember the legacy you've left. That only happens when we remain in Jesus because he says, in him we can bear much fruit, fruit that remains. Apart from him, he literally says, you can do nothing. Nothing will matter if you're not a part of me. And so we want our lives to matter. We want our lives to mean something. And so that's what we're doing. The the doing part of following Jesus is making disciples. And the promise that he gave us is that he will will cause us to be people who make disciples. I had you memorize this uh, passage of scripture last week. In Matthew 4, 19, it says, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men or fishers of people. That's the promise. If you follow me... I will bring a transformation in your heart that will gather people to me. So he doesn't give you a command just to figure it out on your own. He says, no, here's a command. This is what you're going to do, but I'll help you fulfill it as you draw close to me. Isn't that the beauty of Jesus? There's plenty of bosses that will go out there and tell you, hey, get this job done and never show you how to do it. I've been on sites like that before. Uh, I worked for an electrician. I was an electrician apprentice over the summer one year. And he says, you're going to dig this trench and you're going to do this. And, And he just gave me a shovel and I'm like, oh. Where is it supposed to go? How am I supposed to do it? You know, I understand what it means to give it, be given a task and not shown how to do it or the tools necessary or the resources to get it done. 
But Jesus, in his goodness and in his love and his mercy towards you, says, this is what you're going to do, and I'll show you how to do it. And I'll do it with you. And in fact, I'll give you my spirit to dwell within you, to cause these things to rise up in you. It's a beautiful thing. So I understand that sometimes maybe it seems a little simplistic, but, but to make disciples, we have to directly be connected to Jesus and follow closely to Jesus. To, to call yourself a Christian is to, to say that you are a you are like Christ. You are a, a little Christian, a little Christ. That's the definition of a Christian, that you, you bear the image of Jesus. And to do that, you have to look like him. You have to walk closely with him. And I know maybe that sounds elementary, but I think that we often get so consumed in the ministry of the church or in the ministry of doing the right things for Jesus that we neglect our ministry to Jesus. You know, your first ministry is to Jesus. You're called to Jesus. So I'm, I'm coming right out of the gate this morning. I, I feel like we need to grab this as a church, that we have to understand our first longing, our first desire is towards him, and our affection is, is, is pointed at him at all times. And I, I believe that that's what God is wanting to speak to us today. So our first call as believers is to be with him. And it's not wrong that we want to do extraordinary things for Jesus and to experiencing the anointing of the Holy Spirit that sets people free and heals blinded eyes, even raises the, the dead. But if we neglect our first love, who is Jesus, then we've been consumed with the wrong things. And I think one of the diseases of the American church is doing all the right things without ever holding on to the truth of who Jesus is. That we've been so consumed with, with looking a certain way and living like a certain way that we've neglected the fact that apart from Jesus we can do nothing. Jesus even speaks about it in Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse 2. And I believe a lot of us, uh, of the American church particularly, is in this place. Jesus says, as he, as he speaks to John to write to the church of Ephesus, he says in Revelation chapter 2, if you have your Bibles, you can open there. Or if you have a smartphone or device, you can go and look at that on the version Bible app, Y-O-U version Bible app. You can have the notes there as well in the scriptures. But I'll read it to, with us. I'll read it for us, and you can look and follow behind me. Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse 2, Jesus is speaking to his church. He says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear with those who are evil. And you've tested those who say they are apostles and they are not, and you've found them to be liars. And you have persevered, and you've had, you have patience, and you have labored for my name's sake, and you've not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. See, Jesus is listing all of these things that they're doing well, but they had forgotten how to stay close to Jesus, and they had substituted good works for his presence. In a conversation that I had recently with a new friend of mine that we're developing a friendship, we sat down and had breakfast together. And, and he has a heart after Jesus. He is longing for the presence of God. He's longing for a move of God. And he was telling me that one day he spent the entire day just pacing back and forth, asking the Lord to pour out his anointing, praying, God, that he would be able to see miracles, signs, and wonders. He would be able to see the uh, blind eyes opened and the deaf hear. He'd be able to see mass salvation. And he was asking for the anointing of the Holy Spirit that breaks the yoke of the enemy. And, the, and he felt the Lord say to him, the anointing 
is a byproduct of my presence. So instead of crying out for the anointing, we should instead be saying, God, I want your presence. I want you, Jesus. I don't want uh, what you can give me. I don't want just the benefits of knowing you. I want you. We know that in Jesus there is fullness of joy and there are pleasures at his right hand forevermore. That's what the Bible says. There is goodness. There is mercy. There are all these beautiful things that he gives us because we know him. But we don't seek him because of what he gives us. We seek him because we love him. And so this is what we are longing for. And this is essentially what, what the Lord was saying to him. You have to seek the giver and not the gifts. So we seek the one who, who loves us and who did everything for us and poured his life out for us more than we seek him for a good life or a good marriage or the benefits of knowing him. All of those things are good, but that's not why we should seek Jesus. We seek him because he's first sought us. We love him because he first loved us. He poured out his blood for us. His body was beaten for us, and that's why we love him. He did these things for us. See, we're experiencing a move of God in this church, and sometimes we can become consumed with wanting to move in, in the gifts. We can, we can become consumed with desiring to speak in tongues or to prophesy or to see people healed when we pray for them. We've, we've been asking for words of wisdom and knowledge, but sometimes when we do that, we simply forget being with Jesus and ministering to him. Ministering to Jesus means being attentive to him, to his wants, to his desires, and not our own. See, asking him what he desires to do what he longs to see in us, what he longs to do through us, and waiting on him. We forget often that Jesus is a king. In fact, Jesus is the king of kings. And often we can, under, we can reflect on ourselves and look and see, how have I been praying in my time with Jesus? Am I praying, God, give me this, do this for me, open this door, uh, solve this problem, uh, uh, do these things that I need. I need a new car. I need a better house. I need a better job. I need this. I need that. Even prayers that are good. God, help my marriage. Help my children. All these things. Instead of saying, Jesus, what do you desire to do? Jesus, what are you longing to do? What are you longing to do in this person's life? What are you longing to do in my city? What are you longing to do in my family? What are you longing to do in my place of work and in my school? Asking the king what the king wants to do. Because our ministry is to him first. We are servers and servants of the king. When the waiter, when the waiter comes to the table, I don't let the waiter tell me what I'm going to eat. I might ask for a recommendation. I probably won't take it. But the waiter is not saying you're going to have this and you're going to have that and you're going to eat this and you're going to eat that and enjoy it. And sometimes we as the waiters on Jesus come to him and say, you're going to give me this, you're going to give me that, you're going to give me this, and you're going to like it. And that's not how it works. We come to Jesus as servers and servants with the towel around our arms saying, what would you like to do today? What is the appetite of your heart? What are you longing to do? What is, what is on your heart? What is your desire? And it is my desire to fulfill your desire. Our ministry is to him first. It is our longing to be connected to Jesus. There's a story in, in Mark's gospel that illustrates this perfectly, and it's found in chapter 6. And as Jesus sends out the 12, it says it calls them the, the 12 apostles or the disciples as he sends them out. If you'll turn with me to Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 7. 
It says that he called the twelve and he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over unclean spirits. How many of you want authority over unclean spirits? Over the enemy, of course. He charged them to take nothing on their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. Because Jesus is he's revealing to them a truth and he's revealing it to us as well that authority comes with dependency on the Holy Spirit. He's saying, I don't want you going out there with everything packed, knowing exactly what you're going to be coming up against. I want you dependent on me. And in dependence on me, you have the authority over the enemy. Oftentimes, because we are in a, uh, America has been blessed and we are in a blessed country and we are in a wealthy country. Even our poorest in, our, in America are still greater than most of the poor in the world. We are wealthy. And oftentimes, if we were being sent out by Jesus in this moment, we would have our bags fully packed including our coffee maker and our, our, our microwaves and our generators and air fryers ready to go, prepackaged foods, water purifiers. We're ready to go, Jesus, send us. Thinking that it's gonna, we're going to have to be the ones who meet all of our needs when we're doing the things he called us to do. Jesus is saying, no, the authority that I have given you is only on display when you're fully dependent on me. That's why he sent them out this way. Don't have extra bread. Don't pack an extra bag. Carry your staff. Wear some sandals. Hit the road. Then he says in verse 10, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. See, there's some symbolism here of acceptance and rejection of the gospel. And the first part is this, saying don't leave those who accept you uh, right off the bat. Don't leave them when all of a sudden you began to do ministry and it's successful and you think I'm going to go to greener pastures and bigger churches. I'm going to go to a different place because something's going on there. He's saying if somebody has accepted you, even in their lowly state, they've accepted you in the gospel, you stay there until the work is done. It's a beautiful thing. We need to remind, be reminded of that in the church because we're always looking for something bigger and better and greater. He says that's not how it's working. Then he also says, hey, if you've been rejected because you're preaching the gospel, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. So don't, go, don't be so easily offended when, as you're going and, and, and loving on people. They are rejecting the truth, not you. Then in verse 12 he says, and so they went, proclaimed that people should repent they cast out demons, many demons, and anointed with oil many who were sick, and they healed them. And I think, and, I, and as I read this, for many of us, this is the symbol of success as a follower of Jesus. Would you agree? And as a follower of Jesus, I want to see the, the sick healed, the dead raised. I want to demons cast out. I want to be able to preach the gospel and see people changed and saved, right? This is what success is in the kingdom. This is where we see, Wow. We, we love laying hands on people and seeing them recover. It's a beautiful thing. This is the kind of ministry that most of us as pastors pray for. That the church would rise up in the giftings that God has given them and we would see these things. And there would be a large move of God. But sadly, there's the, this is the only kind of ministry that we pursue. And we, we forget or we neglect our first ministry to Jesus. Then often we begin to think uh, about building a ministry around a gift that God has given. And we're going to make it about us and we're going to put our names on it. And how many people you know have ministries with their names at the beginning? 
because we've neglected the fact that our first ministry is to Jesus and to Jesus alone. And we thought, this is what success looks like, so I'm going to pursue it because we are, we are driven as people who are wanting success in our lives. We want to be successful people. We want to be successful in the kingdom of God, but we, but we can't do it when we forget who our first ministry is to. So we pick back up on the return of the disciples in Mark chapter 6, verse 30. The, the disciples begin to come back. The apostles begin to come back to Jesus. And Jesus highlights to them the significance of staying close to him, even as they are doing things that are successful in the kingdom of God. This is what he says. As the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. Jesus was saying here, he was communicating to his disciples that the most important thing for them to do was to get away with him in a secret place and rest. More than it was about doing something in his name. See, it's important that they got, they came back. They, even, they were ministering so much that they didn't even have a time to eat when they came back to Jesus. And that there are so many believers uh, in the church, doing the work of God, but they're starving themselves because they've not stayed connected to Jesus and got away in the secret place. And Jesus says, I care more about your heart than I care about what you are doing. So come away with me. You have to stay close to me because you can stay in ministry and you can see success after success after success after success and still be starving. Because it's not about the doing, it's about his presence. See, and the going is not a bad thing. Jesus still sent them out. Sometimes people can say, well, we should just stop all of that and just be only consumed with Jesus. Well, if we're fully consumed with Jesus, then we're gonna, we can't help but go out because it's his call to redeem and save the lost. So we're going to do that. And he gave the authority to do these things, but he's saying the most important thing was to get alone with me first and allow Jesus to re-nourish them. And I, in fact, I hear the Spirit saying, and I wrote this in my notes as I was writing it, that it isn't in the doing that we find our purpose, but it's in the resting in his presence. It's not in the doing that you find what you're made for. It's in his presence, resting in his presence that you find out what you're made for. That's where your identity is. In Luke's gospel, Luke accounts, now Luke says, he doesn't focus just on the 12 like Mark does. He focuses on actually there was greater. There was 72 that Jesus sent out. And Luke said there was actually 72 that he sent out two by two. And they went out and they came back to Jesus excited. And Luke, Luke accounts for it in chapter 10, verse 17. says the 72 returned with joy. We're talking about joy this morning in our prayer time. They returned with joy. Uh, if you were here with us, you know Gloria is beaming with joy this morning. She's got four kids and she made it to church early. That's a miracle in itself. Come on, parents, we know. That's joyish already. And they said that we turned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over the power of the enemy, and, not, and nothing shall hurt you. But listen to this, verse 20. This is the most important thing. He says, nevertheless... Do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That is where our joy comes from. 
Jesus isn't saying now that our joy should be in knowing that one day we'll make it to heaven. Sometimes people talk like that. I just, man, praise God. It's hell on earth, but one day I'll be in heaven. That's not what Jesus is saying. Just take joy that you'll finally make it one day. That's not what he's saying. He's saying rejoice rather that your names are written in the book. What's the book called? It's the Lamb's book of life. It's Jesus' book. And you know how you get your name in Jesus' book? By having relationship with Jesus. So what he's saying is don't rejoice that the demons are subject to you. Rejoice that you know me and I have fellowship with you and you have fellowship with me. We have a relationship. That's where our joy comes from. And because of our relationship with Jesus, we will have eternity with him in heaven. Our, my name's written down in his book because I know him and he knows me. That's where my joy comes from. It's knowing the king of the universe, the creator of all things. He knows my name and I know him. And I can speak to him anytime I want. And if I listen, I can hear him speak to me. That's where joy comes from. I'm grateful that he's given the authority and the anointing upon our lives and, and that he's working in this church and we're seeing people healed and we're seeing deliverance and we're seeing restoration and we're seeing people broke, uh, break addiction off their lives. I'm grateful for that. And I pray that, that more happens. And I pray that families are restored and I pray more people come to know Jesus. But my ultimate joy is in knowing the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I love him. I know him. I seek him. That's where my joy comes from. And the enemy, the enemy, he can eat the dirt off my shoes. I don't give a rip about it. What I care about is knowing Jesus and serving Jesus. This is what Jesus is saying. Rejoice rather that your name is written in my book. Rejoice that I know your name. And you're a part of my family. See, being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus is not about being a good person. It's not, it's not about doing all the right things or li living up to some certain moral code or dressing a certain way or looking a certain way. It's about beholding Jesus. It's about keeping him at the, at your eyes fixed on him as the center of your attention and your desire and your passion and your drive. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. If we're going to follow him, we have to look at him. We have to watch him. We have to know what he's doing and where he's going. That's what, mean, that's what it means to follow. How many of us have been saying we follow Jesus and we've never kept our eyes on him? We're not following him. We're following people we think are following him. And so that's where religion comes in. That's where legalism comes in because you have a certain group of people say, if you're following Jesus, you look like, like this, you, you dress like that, you, you, you don't cut your hair like this, you wear your makeup like that, you do this, you do that, all of these things. And we think, oh, maybe they're the ones, I'll, I'll just do these things and that'll make me feel like I'm following Jesus. That's not it. What is, is looking at Jesus, knowing Jesus, pursuing Jesus, keeping him, our eyes fixed on him. Allowing the Holy Spirit to make us into his image. Do you know when we get to heaven, we should look like Jesus? How can we look like him if we don't know him? There's a line in, the, in, in a, a song that I love from Maverick City. It says, we become what we behold. And that's the truth. What you, what you set your focus on, what you set your, your eyes on, what you fix your gaze on, that's what you, that's what you become. That's what you behold. That's what you're going to, whatever you, you have a, a desire for, whatever your passion is for, that's what you go after. So you set your eyes fixed on Jesus, you're going to become more like Jesus. So I'm going to give you some practical ways to learn to be with Jesus. Are you ready? I've told you what you need to do, now I'm going to help you know how to do it. Are you ready? We need to be with Jesus. We need to draw close to him. 
Here's the first part. You have to learn to be with him as you read scripture. As you read the word of God, it's going to reveal to you who Jesus is. Maybe you're thinking, I don't like to read. Look, y'all, I hated to read. I was in the book club uh, in elementary school because I lied about reading books. I didn't read them. That's the truth. I'm sorry, Mrs. Foth, I lied to your face. I did not read 50 books over the summer. It did not happen. I looked at the pictures. I got a gist. I'm a good storyteller. Figured it out. I hated to read. Even in high school, I was one of the slowest readers. But what I learned is, if I want to be like Jesus, if I want to know Jesus, I have to read his word. And here's the beautiful thing. Now there's apps out that will read it to you. Come on now. We have no excuse. This is the generation that will know Jesus through the word, even if it's somebody reading it to us. Because we learn who he is through the word that he's given. See, last week I had asked you to, as we read through John 15, we, we, we saw the promise of Jesus that said, if you remain in me and my words remain in you. How do you get his word in you? Without reading it, without listening to it. You have to take it in. There's no, I mean, it's very simple. But how many of us are actually reading his word to be with him? See, some of us will even read the word, but it's not to be with him. It's to get a knowledge of him. There is something that happens by just being in there and say, Holy Spirit, reveal to me who Jesus is as I read this word. Not so that I can go back and know the, uh, and it's important to know the historical context and the original audience and all those things. I love all that stuff. I love the history of the scripture. But I first have to read it to understand who Jesus is. That's why we're memorizing scripture. That's why it's so important to memorize scripture. Last week I asked you to memorize Matthew 4.19. Why? Because it's a promise. If we follow him, he'll make us like him. He'll make us fishers of men, fishers of people. And we do the following, and he does the transforming. We follow, he transforms. I want you to say this. Say, I follow, he transforms. I follow, he transforms. As you follow his footsteps, you're walking in his ways. You're walking in his direction. You're becoming like Jesus. Man, it's so, it's so good to know that it's just one step after the other, and you're becoming more like Jesus. Some of us are trying to cut uh, and quit things cold turkey, and we're trying to do it on our own. Jesus said, take this step, take this step, and we're like, I got to do this, I got to do that, I got to do this. We're all over the place. Jesus said, hey, 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 right here, here's, here's my footsteps. Follow me, one step, one step, follow me. You do the following, I do the transforming. He does the work. He does the work. Beautiful thing. Here's the next memory verse I want you to memorize this week. It's three verses. Are you ready? Some of y'all I didn't memorize last week. That's all right. There's grace in the house today. There's grace and mercy. I want you to memorize this. Write this down. Matthew 11, 28 through 30. This is Jesus calling us to him. As we long to stay close to him. He says this. Come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. I want you to memorize this. Why? 
Because in this life, you're going to have to carry things. You're going to carry something. No one escapes this world without carrying burdens. But Jesus says, I have a burden that is light and that a yoke that is easy. What does that mean when he, yoked, when he talks about yoke? He's talking to farmers who had oxen. And he would pair them together. And they would be yoked together. That means they would be tied together. They would pull the burden together. And Jesus is saying, if you come to me, I'll tie myself to you. And we'll carry this thing together. I'll help you carry it because my yoke is easy. My burden is light. A lot of us have been carrying a lot of burdens. A lot of us have been trying to figure out life on our own. And it's heavier and heavier. Every year it gets heavier and heavier. And Jesus is saying, come to me. Come to me. Come to me. My yoke is easy. Because right now you're carrying it by yourself. But I want to carry it with you. And I carry all the heavy lifting. I do all the heavy lifting. All you got to do is follow me. And I'll carry the burdens for you. I want you to memorize that. I want you to take it to heart. Come to me. All who are weary, heavy laden, carrying burdens that you can't carry anymore. I'll give you rest. See, Jesus is gentle. He's loving. He's strong. He'll come back with a sword. But until that day, he beckons us to come and experience his love and his mercy and his grace. He's understanding. He's forgiving. He's loving. That's how we're going to learn to be with him as we read the word. My second part for this is learn to be with him in prayer. In prayer. Do you know why it's hard for you to pray? Because the enemy doesn't want you to talk to your father. He doesn't want you to connect, connect with him. He doesn't want you to hear from him. Eventually, if you pray, the Lord will talk back to you. The enemy doesn't want you to know the voice of your father. I love the, the Pris Priscilla Schreier video. The women are going to be going in concerning the voice of God. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. That is not some weird Pentecostal charismatic thing. Only the, only the Pentecostals, only the Holy Rollers can hear God, and we don't know what he's saying. That's not, that's, this is for all believers. Every single one of you can hear God's voice and know his voice. You know it by reading his word, because when he speaks, it's usually coming out of the word to you. Secondly, it's in, in prayer as you're talking to him. Learn to be with him in prayer. In prayer. See, the second part of John 15, 7 says, as you remain in me and my words remain in you. Then he says this, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Prayer is asking. Prayer is communicating. Prayer is talking to him. And so he's saying, as you remain in me and my words are in you, then whatever you ask for will be done. Maybe you're asking, how does that work? Because I know I've, I've, I've prayed plenty of prayers that have not been answered by the grace of God. So it's not a promise that whatever you pray for is going to happen. I can tell you right now. I, I, I'm, I'm living experience. The Niners did not go to the Super Bowl. They did not win. Unless it was stolen from them somehow. I don't know. I don't know. But he doesn't answer every prayer. I heard somebody say amen, but I'm not going to even, I'm not going to, I'm not going to respond to that. Lord, give grace. So what he's saying is, if we are drawing close to him, 
And we are remaining in him. And his words are remaining in us. His words actually transform us. And the Bible says that it renews our minds by reading the word. The washing of the water of the word transforms our hearts, transforms our thinking. So if we have his heart and we have his mind, we begin to pray the things the Lord desires to do. Remember, because our first ministry is to him. So we're asking him in prayer, what is it that you want to do in my family? What is it that you want to do in my place of work, in my school, at my job? What do you want to do in my own heart? I want those things. And we are agreeing with the Spirit for what he desires to do in our world. And then he says, if you would come into agreement with me, whatever you wish, because we're asking him to do what he wants to do in us, it will be done. That's encouraging. Because I know I've got family members who I want to know Jesus. I have a city that needs to know Jesus. I, I have friends who've got drug problems. I've got people that I know that are homeless on the streets. I, mean, I know people who are struggling in their marriages. Their kids are running uh, haywire. I know these people, and I know that Jesus has a heart for them. And so when I begin to pray, God, would you touch their lives? Would you save them? Would you redeem them? Would you restore them? Would you break every chain off them? We, re we bind the enemy, and I begin to intercede for them as the Spirit draws me to that. I have a promise. That whatever I ask for, whatever I wish, I wish that every single person that I know would know Jesus. And what I wish for will be done as I pray these things to Jesus. So I, I want to be with him in prayer. I want that intimacy that he gives us. The third thing is this. We have to learn to be with him as we love others. See, being with Jesus is not solely for our own benefit. And we talked about this in our last series, Declutter, and maybe you're saying, Pastor, frankly, we've had several weeks of you talking about how we love each other. But this is a, a major aspect as, as a follower of Jesus. I've known so many people who call themselves Christians, and there's, nothing, there's no love that flows out of them. There's, there's, it's dry. It's bitter. It's, it's like, you love Jesus? How? How do you love Jesus? I don't, where is it? Where is the love? Jesus says, look, as you love me, as I am in the Father, the Father is in me, my love is then transferred over to you. There's so many people who've called themselves believers that the love of Christ is not evident in them at all. It's not evident. But if, as we learn to be with Jesus and find our rest in him and allow the love of Christ to flow through us, it will draw others to him. Still in John chapter 15, just two verses after him saying, remain in me and my word remains in you and ask whatever, uh, whatever you wish and it will be done. In verse 9 he says this, the Father, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. So abide in my love. That means live in my love, dwell in my love, set your camp up in my love. Make your residence in my love. It's rent free. Come and stay in my love. He says, if you keep my commandments... You will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and I abide in his love. Verse 11 says this, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. See, the more time you spend with someone, the more you begin to love what they love. Right? Right? I hate to keep using myself as an example, but these are the examples I have. Okay? So when I first met my wife, she loved country music. I grew up 
not liking country music. But as I began to see the beauty of her and I'm being in relationship with her, I thought, you know what? If she likes it and she likes me, there must be something good here. <laughs> I mean, she's got some good judgment, right? If she's liking me, I have to trust her judgment on country music. So I started to tolerate it. I started to say, you know what? That's all right. It's not, it's, I'm, my ears aren't bleeding. I started to learn to like it. I didn't love musicals. In fact, I thought they were kind of like, not for me. <laughs> but one of our first dates, she took me to see Les Mis in San Francisco. I was blown away. I was like, these people are talented. I was like, what else can we see? <laughs> this is really good. Because she loved it, and she introduced it to me. And because I loved her, and I had a heart that was willing to say, I trust what she's saying. This thing is actually good. It doesn't mean it's always going to happen that way. But when we spend time with people we love, we begin to take on the things that they love. And how much more with the king of the universe who is known as love? The one who says an attribute of Jesus is love. How much more as we spend time with him, we begin to love what he loves? I mean, Jesus loves his church. That's why he died for us. And we can't say that we love him and we hate the church. It doesn't work. And God so loved the world that he sent his son, Jesus, to die for the world so that he could redeem the world to himself. So when any time that we have hatred in our heart toward people, we're, we're missing the point of what Jesus loves. So we have to learn to be with him as we are with others, loving them with the love of Jesus inside of us. The more time we spend with him, the more we look like him. God loves people. Jesus loves the church. So we take on his character, and we love one another, and we love the lost. And we ask that Jesus would save them and bring them home. As the worship team comes, we draw a time to a close this morning. Our call as followers of Jesus is to first be with him. To be with Jesus. There's a lot going on in our world right now. There's a big world, big word in the church called uh, deconstruction, where people have built their lives around this idea of Christianity that is now crumbling at their feet, and it's, it's causing them to walk away from Jesus because of all the other extracurricular things that the church piled on people that Jesus never called them to be piled on with. And it's causing people to walk away from their faith. And it's causing people to be hurt by the church. And it's causing a lot of these things going on. And my heart in these moments that I've seen friends walk through this deconstruction movement is that I have to ask myself, where is Jesus in all of this? And where is the love of Jesus in our hearts? Because I sincerely believe that Jesus is the solid rock. And if we stand firm on who he is, Nothing can shake us. But so often we've been building our lives on sinking sand, calling it good religion, calling it Christianity, saying it's faith in Jesus, but we're standing on something completely other. Our desire, my desire, is for our eyes to be fixed on Jesus. Not a person, not a ministry, not a name, not a calling, not a gifting, on Jesus.
Jesus. With every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. The one thing that Jesus has commanded us to do as followers is to make disciples. But even as we are going, making disciples, working in signs and wonders, the Holy Spirit working through us, seeing sick people healed, people delivered, set free, our first call is to Jesus, to return to Him, to rest in Him, to remain in Him. And you do this as a follower by being with Him in the Word, with Him in prayer, and with Him as we're loving others. And this morning, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, it starts today by giving your heart to Him. And saying, I want this Jesus that this man is, so, is talking so passionately about. I need this Jesus, a Jesus who loves you, who cares for you, who died to set you free, to remove your sin and your wrongs and your mistakes, to heal your wounds and your brokenness, to give you hope and a future. This Jesus, you need to have a relationship with. With every head bowed and every eye closed this morning, if you're here under the sound of my voice and you've never committed your life Christ you've never said I will serve Jesus I will give my life to Jesus and every day of my life I'm going to pursue after him if you've never surrendered your heart to Jesus today then on the count of three I want to give you the opportunity to pray this prayer and we can agree together one the spirit of God draws you Two, the Bible says today is the day of your salvation. Three, right now, would you raise your hand? Pastor, would you pray for me? Just slip your hand right up now so we can pray together. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, God. Draw us close, Holy Spirit. Draw us close. this prayer after me, say, Jesus, come on, everybody say, Jesus, I believe in you, I give my heart to you, I surrender to you, thank you that you died on a cross for me, to redeem me and set me free, I confess you're the son of God, and I put my trust in you. I put my hope in you. I will follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel to hear past episodes. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to rate it and share it with your friends and help us out a lot. If you're interested in supporting the ministry of Central Valley Church, go to CBC.